Good evening and welcome to Italian Impact Weekly coming to you live from Robert Morris University. I'm your host, Steve Stefano Mancini. And I'm Claudio Rosano and thank you all for tuning in. Appreciate it. Oh, Claudio. Um, so I, I tell you what, we're, just, we're not even going to wait. We're going to jump right in. Claudio, how was your weekend? <laughs> it was good. I jumped right <laughs> in. I saw the Facebook picture, so I know it's coming. It's good. We had the uh, YenzerCon event by Don Spagnolo, who's a guest on the show. Had a lot of great... Uh, a lot of great met a lot of great people it was packed all day long from 11 to 6 steady steady stream of people steady stream of people and uh, met mary hours very nice lady erica uh, moke from kdka were very nice uh, met a lot of people we're going to have some guests from the uh, yinzercon uh, it was just a great event and dawn you know, i always say it it's hard enough to get three people together let alone all those people that were in attendance and to have people come and, and uh, enjoy the actual event. Great event. And I'm very honored and flattered to have been invited for sure. It looked fun. I was uh, traveling actually this weekend, but uh, no, I saw the pictures on Facebook. I'm like, man, there I am driving around all over the place, running errands. And there's Claudio just bumping elbows with all these people. I'm like, man, that's just, that's my life, Claudio. That's my life. Uh, I'm trying to do that permanently. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to live vicariously through uh, you whenever right. you go to these events. Again, fun. we want to fo- thank the, all the folks that are tuning in tonight. Um, as always, we're coming to you from Robert Morris University. And before I even go another step further, I do want to, once again, I want to thank Greater Pittsburgh Travel for their support. And I actually saw Tom on Saturday. And um, like I said, it's kind of a funny thing that he is planning my vacation. So um, I tell you right now, after today, today, you know, work is work. And uh, Tom, if you're listening, and I know you're listening because you're supporting the show for, for all that is holy, get me the hell out of here. I need a vacation so bad, please. So let's work this thing and get me going. Um, I'm looking forward to a three-country tour in Europe. And for the record, again, people think like, oh, you got to be rich to do these things. No, you don't. You just get the right person, you find the right deals, and you can have nice vacations. And I also want to thank Domenica and the folks at the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. Again, as always, we do appreciate your support. And without your support, we wouldn't be here and I know we've got some other folks lining up to support us. We'd greatly appreciate that. And um, obviously, as the show continues to grow and improve, and we bring different guests on, and I know we've got some great guests lined up, but we're also going to have some other kind of surprises, I'll say, for the show. People have been asking me, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? I was in Virginia last week. And people were actually listening to the show. They listen to it online, or they right. catch the, the recording. And they're like, hey, you guys should do this segment, do that segment. So, so we've got some things coming up, I think, over the summer that are going to be fun. Of course, when I'm not on vacation. But again, as always, I want to thank you very much. And Claudio, I keep forgetting, what is that site they can go to to check us out? First, we got to thank our, produ- our great producer, Joe Hale. Uh, for who? Oh, uh, yeah, Joe. That's right. ItalianImpactWeekly.com. There you can check out our sponsors. You can get our bios. You can listen to our sh- past shows. It's a great website and building. Oh, and by the way, Joe, let me tell you, so I had a dial, you know, I dialed in last week. And uh, that was magical because if you knew where I was dialing in from, it sounded pretty good. So everybody knows there was no surprises there. So I appreciate that, Joe. Appreciate the magic that you do again. Um, so we have a great guest tonight. In fact, we have two great guests tonight. And uh, what we're going to do is because we're going to be a little pressed for time, we're going to jump right into our guests. Let's do it. And uh, Mark DePasquale, I want to introduce yourself. How you doing, sir? Appreciate you coming to the uh, studio tonight. I'm doing great. Thank you uh, for having me, Stephen Claudio. My name is Mark Victor Vincenzo Di Pasquale, and I am a candidate for Pittsburgh City Controller, and I'm very grateful to have this time to talk about my candidacy and the importance of the office. Fantastic. Right. Um, by the way, that is a super Italian name. I, I love it. And you even pronounced it right. I was like, all right, right. good for you. Um, I know that you are a 
third generation. I'm going to tell you, let's talk about we because we always like to talk. So Clyde and I, we really like to, to dig into people's past and, and grab I, the roots. Actually, I am second generation. Oh. And, and uh, it, it's very, um, very interesting Pittsburgh history. Uh, my, I'm the youngest son, in a youngest grandson, actually, in a big Italian family. So I'm the youngest sibling by many years. Um, my grandparents came here in the late 1800s. Uh, my grandfather actually came first, and then my mother's mother and father came a little bit after, and uh, my grandmother, my father's mother, was the first born here from our town in Italy. Um, our, our, our gene pool stayed intact because when our family first came here from Italy, they settled in the Oakland area in the Panther Hollow, right. which was a valley, which is very uh, important. Oakland was the area around it was not friendly to the ethnics moving in. They literally hit them with bricks and said, go back down to your rat hole. And as a result, for 60 years, they never left. And nobody came out or intermingled with other people in the neighborhood until after World War II. And so I am the son of, I'm a baby boomer, the tail end of the baby boomers. I'm the youngest son. My father fought in every major battle in the South Pacific as a Marine. Uh, was uh, decorated in the uh, Second Battle of Guam and the Battle of Iwo Jima. And, and I guess what happened it was a lot of those guys, they saw so much ugliness and uh, all around them, and they came home and got married right away and started reproducing or procreating. And my father literally uh, um, uh, asked my mother to marry him two weeks after he came back from the South Pacific. They got married and started a family. Uh, so that, and uh, even though for my age it's odd to be, a second generation. I am a second generation. No, I, I tell you that's interesting because I've I've watched you know I've seen some of your interviews. I kind of know where you mm -hmm. stand on issues, and we're gonna we're gonna jump into this in a little bit. But uh, you know, you you talk about immigration, supporting immigrants, and people are coming to Pittsburgh and kind of you know supporting these communities. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is I'm not even gonna call you a politician, but I'm gonna say good people. A lot of times when they have a belief in something and they help it, it's, it's from an experience. So you just kind of said it. Hey, when my family came here back in the day, they weren't welcomed. But now you're here. You're established. That, that period is gone. But believe it or not, I'm married to an immigrant. And by why, I met her overseas. We got married and we came over here. And we actually moved in an area. When we first came to the States, we were in, we were in California. So California is very, very mixed. When we went to other places, I was in the military at the time, we went to other places, they didn't have what I'll call, you know, diversity. I don't say it in a bad way or a good way, just, just what it is what it is. And so it's interesting, though, that when communities get people in, it almost doesn't matter what year it is. It's like the minute you change something, people go, ah, I don't know what to do with it. And so that seems like it's something you kind of picked up a passion and said, oh, we're, we're going to break that cycle of, I don't know what to do with it, or they're new, or they're different. And we're going to say, you know what? welcome them because if people would welcome i always wonder how much different things would have been but you can talk to almost any ethnic group that's come to this country and then and a lot of people forget that italians italians were lynched mm -hmm. you know the you know the irish were, were, were treated pretty pretty poorly you know what the people were treated bad back in the day and then what happens a generation or two goes by that's history now new immigrants come 
you think it's like, oh, welcome aboard. It's the same thing. It's like so it's going to break the cycle. So we want to jump into that now and just talk about that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, when you talk about and you look at a prejudice and, and then a growth of a city and then people coming together, um, I and I appreciate, I, I don't consider myself a politician. I was raised actually in a political family, and my father was a... Uh, elected uh, official for many years and I have a nephew who is an elected official statewide um, and not, I, I consider myself a public servant I never thought I would run for public office and I, I, I've sat back and I I saw the problems that that are happening in our city and in our community and that a lot of people weren't putting forth solutions and one of the things my, well, first starting with my grandfather, every generation of our family were community servants. My grandfather um, was, was a sponsor of, there were four generations from our town in Italy. And you, back then you needed somebody to sponsor you, somebody to help you get a job, somebody who was established to speak for you. Uh, and when the, there were, the immigrations happened at the turn of the century, when my grandparents came here. Uh, shortly in the like 1910 area, then strangely enough in the height of the depression because they were all about hunger and no food and jobs, so it was still better here in the depression than it was in Italy and then after World War II. But our family was established and at one point in time there were 5,000 people from the town in Italy where we're from, the town of Gambriala in the province of Abruzzi, the state of Caete. It's about 90 miles northeast of Rome. There literally were 5,000 people from the town living in the area of Oakland. And when they would come to America, everybody would know somebody was moving here, like Cousin Giuseppe's moving, Cousin Ed. And we would greet them, and we would help them with food. Somebody would help them get a job. Uh, my mother was often the person that guided them around and showed them how to get around the, the schools and get their, their children in schools. So you need that. And, but what happened, what I saw when I saw firsthand is, and I mentioned the prejudice earlier, and it's funny, and I would say to my father, you know, don't you hold a grudge? And he'd say, no, you have to let bygones be bygones and move on or you get nowhere. But once my father got established, and he had a pretty powerful uh, political position, he always made a seat at the table for everybody. He was, big, he was a leader in civil rights. Uh, he was the president of the union at Forbes Field Three River Stadium that employed everybody. And it was actually the first uh, stadium or baseball stadium in the United States of America that employed African Americans and in front positions as ushers. And people don't realize that, that that existed. Um, but he always brought, gave a seat at the table, especially to the black and the brown community. And what I saw from my neighborhood was people started with nothing. Then they became plumbers and carpenters and tradesmen and shoemakers. And they weren't too proud to do that. And their goal was to raise their children and the village did raise the child. And then their children went on to college. Many of them worked at the University of Pittsburgh and they didn't get paid much money at all as their landscapers and tradesmen, 
but what they did get, they were allowed to educate their children for free. And so my generation all went on to college. Many became doctors and lawyers. And they all gave back to the city of Pittsburgh. And the city of Pittsburgh grew and prospered. Now we're in a situation where the generation, generation of my age is leaving. You know, many left in the 80s uh, when we had our depression, when the steel mills crashed. And uh, many are, especially the city of Pittsburgh, leaving for the suburbs. But we're not thriving like we used to. And we have many more issues than we used to. And our revenues are not well. Uh, and we're in a situation where we can't raise taxes, but we need to increase revenue. And by 2028, when the American Rescue Funds run out, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And then you sit there and you have this natural flow. And I, I've done a lot of work with the Latino community. Uh, there's an outfit called the Hispanic Development Corporation. It's up in Beachview, in the Beachview Community Center. And I work for the city of Pittsburgh, and I'm a project manager. So I was the project manager on that particular facility. But when we do that, I also worked with the group to help them get established. And I'm still the point person. So I've gotten to see firsthand what the amazing things that they do with Latino immigrants. I also know firsthand, all over the nation, we are viewed by immigrants coming from all countries as a good place to live. There's a, there's a lot of affordable housing on the cusp. Uh, you, still, you have neighborhoods that are so ripe to grow the population, and they want to move here. And the government structure is not doing enough to help the organizations that work with the immigrant population come here. And it is the, just the most natural flow to regrow our community. And I see the current immigrant base, legal immigrant base, th that want to live in the United States and would like to come to Pittsburgh is just such a natural resource to regrow our community and with beautiful people and with rich new traditions. And, uh, and uh, it, it, it has to happen. Somebody has to take note, and, and there's already an infrastructure there. It just needs a push from our leaders. Mark, um, somebody from your area in uh, Panther Hollow, that, that area, Dan Marino, his family. Mm -hmm. uh, Dan has a saying, you can do more, you can always do more. My thing is keep accomplishing. You've done so much in your life, which we talked about a little bit before the show, including working at a place that was unbelievably near and dear to my heart, the Allegheny Club. Tell our audience some of the work that you've done and you kept accomplishing, you kept doing more. You just didn't stay one place, mm -hmm. status quo. You kept doing a lot. Tell us about some of the things you've done and why did you do so many different things? Well, actually, um, when I uh, first started in the workforce, I, I started with the Pittsburgh City Controller's Office, the office that I'm running for, uh, as a young man, I was only 19. I, I had some very serious health problems when I was in high school. Uh, I had a, a Crohn's disease and I was very sick, um, almost past, uh, I had last rites a few times before my 18th birthday. Um, it made me very spiritual, made me very driven. Um, I also was, I always felt very blessed that I, you know, we had good things when I, we did, we had good things when I was growing up. 
we weren't rich, we weren't millionaires, we were common folk, but life was good. And I always appreciated that my father was an elected official and, and, and I felt uh, obliged to give back to the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, so I worked in the controller's office, but I always wanted to go, I was driven to go back and finish my education. I uh, achieved though while I was there. Um, I worked six years, I was an auditor in the Pittsburgh City Controller's Office. I was also a key person on the committee that brought the Pittsburgh Marathon to Pittsburgh, on the inaugural Pittsburgh Marathon. And while I was there at that point in time, I was uh, recognized by my peers. I was the elected municipal representative to the credit union for the city and the president of the board of directors of the credit union. But I never could get to the next step because I didn't have that college education. So I left and I finished college. At that point in time, I uh, could really only afford community college, uh, which I'm proud to have gone to, Allegheny Community College uh, campus in, Alleg in uh, Northside. I earned two associate degrees in the time it takes to earn one. I was a Dean's List student, and then on the day I graduated, I was offered a job with Marriott Corporation and their international headquarters. Would have had a very lucrative career had I stayed. Um, I did learn, and I learned how to be a very good operations efficiency manager. Came back to Pittsburgh because what us Pittsburghers do, we had some illness in the family, and I was needed. And so I came back here and uh, opened up a small business. Uh, well, actually, I worked for Pappins, uh, which was a thriving um, uh, restaurant chain here at the time. At, from there, I opened up my own small business in the north side, a, a diner. And then I actually moved on to the hotel business and then the Allegheny Club at Three River Stadium, which was a tremendous experience. Now, what drove you to do those things? Was it, uh, like my dad used to tell me, oh, Lindo, and I know you owned a place yeah. called Lindo's, but don't put all your eggs in one basket. And for me personally, I always liked having different funnels of income. And I never feel like I've done enough. I always feel I can do more. What drove you to do those things? What inspired you? <sighs> You know, well, first of all, I'll tell you how I got into the hospitality business. Most of the people in my family were carpenters and electricians and tradesmen. And when they saw me hold a hammer or a saw, they'd say, put that down and go get the cup of gold. So, <laughs> <laughs> but but um, I, 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 get, I, I was just always uh, never satisfied with just the status quo, the mundane nine to five. I, right. I, I had something in me that always wanted to do the next step or fulfill, fulfill the, the day uh, 100% and knowing at the end of the day that I, that I left it all on the table. Um, uh, I'll tell you a, a quote that I use and I think that it, it most describes me. One of my favorite poet writers, songwriters was Harry Chapin. Sure. And he has, has a, a tell where he said his grandfather said to him, Harry, uh, there's two types of tired. There's good tired and there's bad tired. He said, bad tired, ironically, can be a day where you won. Everything you did turned to gold. Everything you wanted to accomplish, you accomplished. But you didn't accomplish your dreams. Man. You didn't accomplish your goals. You, you really, and when you go home at night, you don't settle. He said, a good day, however, could be a day that nothing worked. Nothing went your way. You failed at everything you tried, but you fought your battles, you fought your fight, and you fought 
you know, you fought the fight of the good and you tried to make something better in the world and when you go to bed at night, you sleep the sleep of the just. And I think that's what I try to achieve. Well, there's a quote from Vince Lombardi who said, I tell my team this all the time and I know I follow it, the greatest feeling in the world is to lie exhausted in victory, the second greatest feeling in the world is to lie exhausted in defeat. In other words, you know, give it everything you have and, and, and you certainly uh, do for sure. So I want to kind of go back to something because, you know, in this day, and we were kind of talking about this a little bit before, you know, everything is so politicized. It is either this or this. And um, like I said, you know, if people, when people know me, they say, they, they try to put me in a bucket. They try and say, you're this. And I have a lot of views that'll go one mm. side or the other. Got it. But, but like I said, I, I, the, the reason I come more of this is the immigration is very important because the whole, this is one thing that, again, it was near and dear to me is the more I learned about where my family came from and the struggles that they went through to come here, the more I appreciate where I'm at. That's why I think it's important people should learn where did you come from because very few people are going to come from a place of wealth and prosperity. Yeah, there's going to be some of those, but most people are going to come from people that had nothing, came here and worked. But I want to, I want to go with this quick question for you because with so much, you know, it's either pro or anti, whatever the issue is. I am in favor of bringing new people into this country because that's who we're built on. But I liked what you said, legal immigration, because a lot of people don't remember or don't even know this. When people came to Ellis Island, it wasn't like, oh, you came from Europe. Welcome to America. People got turned around and people don't remember that. So it wasn't like it was a free ticket to America. There were always people that said, sorry, you can't come here. So my question for you is, how do you talk to people on the issue and say, like, because I, I see where you're going with it. If you're bringing legal immigrants here, they're going to need housing. They're going to want jobs. They're going to work. A lot of people coming to this country, you know, the, again, it's one of those misnomers. They just want to come here and sit back and collect America's free money. I will tell you that the hardest workers have always been immigrants because they look, because I know this because I lived overseas for years. I am married to an immigrant. I sponsored people to come here on that, that family thing. I did that for two family members myself, coming from where my wife's from. But every one of those people outside of America, and this is what most Americans do not get, people outside of America see America as a good country that if you go there and you work hard, you can be successful. And when they're successful, you win. Because what you do is if you get people that are going to come to this country and they're going to work hard, and ideally, they're going to pay their taxes. They're going to go out and buy stuff. You know, they're going to support the infrastructure through that. You win, but you cannot stagnate. So how do you tell the people that may be the antis and say, hold on a minute. Here's why you, you, you need to rethink your position. You know, I, it, it's, it, it's very tough. That's a tough question because it's tough to what do you tell them? Um, I, I think the only thing that you can really do it's kind of show them, so, you know, expose them to uh, the, 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 how, how this, these people work and, and what they're like. Um, uh, you know, it, <coughs> again, it, it's uh, how do you show them, it, it, how do you break through to prejudice? I, I, I don't know. I, it, I think it's just the more that we are exposed to other people, the more we realize that we're all alike. We're all just alike, and there's good and bad in everybody, but there's mostly good. And it, you look at, like I had mentioned earlier, um, one of the, uh, you know, my family were all tradesmen. Well, that's what our people did. They came here, 
they didn't know the language. Often they weren't educated, uh, but they were driven and they were smart. And they, they weren't afraid to work with their hands and they weren't afraid to, to you know, strap it on and get, their, get dirty. And right now, there is a very big, anyone that works in projects or with the field that I work on has realized there is a big gap in the trade industry. We don't have plumbers. We don't have electricians. We don't have bricklayers because as those generations moved on and they educated their children to become doctors and lawyers and CPAs, everybody, our generations forgot that work ethic. You, it, and right now, the immigrant base is the most natural way to regrow the gap in the trades. And let me tell you something, it costs everybody. You wanna build, especially right now here, UPMC is spending billions of dollars with expansion and the universities, and they're getting first dibs on the tradesmen, and they're paying higher wage. You wanna build a house, you just might not get the carpenters. You might not get the electricians. Um, and, and it is a void, and it needs to be filled. And the new base of immigrants coming here are more than willing to fill those voids. They're more than willing to have the uh, hardware store on the corner. They're more than willing to have the ice cream shop on the corner. Um, and there's a place uh, where I used to Dairy Queen in Mount Lebanon. You would go there and there was a line out the door. They recently closed because they can't get employees. Because they can't get kids. A lot of places are missing people. They can't get kids that want to work for 12 bucks an hour. Insane. You know, again, it's funny you say that. And this is this is what I, I don't want to get into a social issue here, but this is what's wrong right here because people have forgotten what it's like. I hate to say it like this, but they've forgotten what it's like to really be hurting. That doesn't mean there's not poor people in America. That doesn't mean there are not people that are broke and are suffering. But most Americans do not know poverty. I lived in third world countries where they were literally starving to death. I have been there in my military time. I will tell you, I know poverty. So when I come back here, I go, people say, ah, oh, I'm poor. It's like, well, that's a nice car you're driving. But I know people that, you know, they're sitting on the, on, the, on the side of the road. They're not begging because they're lazy. They're begging because if that, that foreigner or that, that military guy that doesn't drop 50 cents in their pocket, they don't eat today. So I, and there's no government food stamp program in a lot of these countries. So people don't know what poverty is, but these people coming here, they know what poverty is. And if you tell them, I give you 12 bucks an hour, eight people will go live in a room and they won't bat an eye and they'll take that $12 an hour job because it's still better than what they have. And I'm not saying that, that I want them to do that, but my point is, and I've, I've said this to my students, I teach part-time right here at RMU, and I've said, you do not appreciate or understand what you have and you won't too many times until you lose it. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. It, it's really uh, funny. I'll give you two examples of that. And, and, it, is, and it is about exposure. Uh, I was fortunate enough, this, Oakland was a melting pot, and the street that I grew up on was very ethnic uh, in, in many different nationalities. The lady that lived next to us, her name was Annie Grayless. She was Irish. She had an Irish boarding house where the only people that came through her home, she was were from Ireland. We got exposed to that. Across the street from her were the Lees who were Chinese. They owned the Chinese laundry and the Chinese restaurant on the corner. 
Next to them were the Tachuses that were Greek. Across from them were the Solomons that were Jewish. And we all loved each other. We all teased each other. We all, but at the end of the day, we all went to each other's weddings, funerals. Um, and funny, the Lees were probably, I, I would bet, the wealthiest people on the street because the whole family worked like a dog from 5 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night and, and grew their wealth working in the laundry and the restaurant and were the best citizens on the street. My, my restaurant, my diner, I actually sold it to when I was ready to move on and I gave him a very good price. It was an employee of mine. He was from Pakistan. He was an engineer in his country and his credits did not translate over to America. His daughter was sick and needed to be at Children's Hospital. For the sake of his daughter, he gave up his career and he came to America. Now, how can you tell me that's a bad person? Right. And I helped him get into the business and he spent, he's, now he owns two more restaurants, he has spent the bulk of his time in America as, as a successful small business owner and he sees me on the street and he hugs me and, he, and, he, and he's grateful. And when you see people like this from other countries, you got to be blind, deaf, and dumb if you don't really, you know, and, and the main thing is hope. If we do not give hope to people, whether it's Italian people, I don't care where you came from, where, where, what nationality, what country, at any era, if you aren't given hope, then you're going to turn to the dark side. And it, it is for the people who were blessed by God and had the opportunity to have good things, to, and, and their families survived, and the arms were open for them to open our arms to the next group of people coming to this country and help them succeed. All right, folks, we are joined by Mark DePasquale. He's a candidate for city controller, and Mark's going to stay with us. But before um, we obviously get to our second guest, we're going to do what we always do. Claudio, take it away. All right, the Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame banquet will be Wednesday, August 2nd at the Lamont Restaurant in Mount Washington. If you want to become a member, or come to the banquet, please email us at questions at italianimpactweekly.com. Don't forget about my book, Lead from the Heart Up, Not to Neck Up, How to Create a Positive Morning Call, Trying to Fill in the Office. You can get that on my website at claudiorosano.com, as well as listen to my podcast, The Claudio Rosano Show, where I've interviewed some great guys such as Mario Andretti, Vince Ferragamo, Dick Vermeil, Vince Papali, and many, many others. Our TV boxing show, The Boxing Authorities, you can check us out on Channel Box. Luther Dupree Jr., Smokin' Jim Frazier, and I click on the WBC Live link. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, a couple quick events. Uh, May 15th, Treesdale Country Club, Sid Bream, and John Cole will be hosting the 22nd annual For the Kids Celebrity Golf event. Again, at Treesdale, it's a great event. And June 30th, Pittsburgh NFL alumni uh, group at Quicksilver Country Club. That's also a great event. I've been there for many years as well. Email us at questions at Italian-American. Uh, impact.com and don't forget to go to www.italianimpactweekly to listen to the rest of our shows italianimpactweekly.com they'll, they'll get it they'll get come it. on people alright thank you very it. much alright we're going to be joined here in a few seconds by I'm Melissa Marinero she is the curator for the Heinz History Center I'm Paul Martino with news about the best qualified candidate for Pittsburgh City Controller, Mark DePasquale. From a family that's been in public service for three generations, DePasquale's no newbie. His vast local government experience has provided taxpayers with accountability, transparency, and integrity. The City Controller's position is vital. You want a leader like Mark DePasquale at the helm. I'm Mark DePasquale, and it would be an honor to earn your vote. 
Paid for by DePasquale for City Controller. Our next guest is a wonderful person who I've gotten to know the past couple of years. She is the director for the Heinz History Center's Italian American program. Again, wonderful young lady, Melissa Marinero. Melissa, thank you so much for being on our show. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be talking to you. All right. It's always great to talk to you. Last time I saw you was at the Bruno San Martino documentary. Uh, that was a great event, was it not? I, that was fantastic. We had such a wonderful time working with Larry Richard to screen his wonderful production. Um, and we were fortunate enough to have Daryl San Martino with us. Yeah. So it was a great celebration of Bruno's life. And it also happened to be on his birthday so we celebrated with some birthday cake in his honor that's right that's right all right now tell us tell our audience uh, your responsibilities at the heinz history center sure so i direct the italian american program which has been a part of the history center since 1990 and our mission is to document preserve and interpret the history and culture of italian americans in southwestern pennsylvania so as a part of my duties, I work with our material culture collection, which is one of the largest in the United States to have a focus on Italian Americans. And I also do our public programming and our outreach. So some of your listeners might be familiar with me because possibly they've come to an event at the History Center or I have been out in their communities either uh, presenting or celebrating because I myself am an Italian American um, my ancestors came from Italy to Western Pennsylvania, and so I am very honored to be able to do this work on behalf of all of those Italian Americans that either are currently with us or somehow had their families pass through Western Pennsylvania. Now, I've been there so many times, obviously, and there's so many great items. Tell us some of the items that are there so the people who haven't been there want to come. Sure. Well, I would say, you know, a must-see is our display that's on the fourth floor in the Special Collections Gallery. It is right behind the Mr. Rogers section. And you'll notice a lot of objects that may be things you have in your own home or that your parents or grandparents had in their home. Um, we have a fabulous wine press. We have steamer trunks. We have a gorgeous copper espresso machine that originally was from Poli's restaurant in Squirrel Hill. Um, we have some incredible textiles, you know, things that were worn on the voyage to the United States and passed through Ellis Island. Um, so our object collection is quite robust. We've got over a thousand objects, but we also have a very substantial archival collection, which includes photographs, immigration documents, correspondences, and our oral history collection, which is a real gem because that is uh, where we have captured, using audio, the stories of Italian immigrants and their descendants. And so all together, these pieces make up our collection, and we really pride ourselves on access. So not only can you come and view our objects on display, but we have a library and archives that is open Wednesday through Saturday to researchers. So you are able to come in and do research on either family history, genealogy, community history. Um, a lot of people come in and just want to know more about what life would have been like for their ancestors that came from Italy to the United States. Melissa, you know, when I'm listening to you speak, this sounds a little more 
than just a job to you. This sounds kind of like a passion. Can I can I ask you? Did it, you said you were Italian? You're you're really, you're very excited and passionate. You almost sound like me for a minute there. Except I, my voice just isn't quite <laughs> as high as yours. Tell me, is it? How do you feel about this? Is this a passion? Is this something you love to do? Do you love to like just really do this and jump into this? Tell me about this. And you, like, how does well, this impact I would say you? I feel blessed to be in this position as an Italian American to have an institution like the Heinz History Center, which is, um, you know, such a key institution in our city and our cultural landscape, also a Smithsonian affiliate, so connected to these larger institutions that document American history. So I feel, one, blessed that the History Center has recognized our community as being important, being one that deserves a voice and recognizes the contributions that we've made. Um, And I also see it as a type of service this is a way that I can help to pay back those who came before me who carved a path for us because it certainly wasn't easy to get a foothold in the United States. So I take my position very seriously because I am able to help bring a voice to those who maybe in their lifetime didn't get the attention or the celebration that they deserved. So I'm happy to be able to work with families and communities and businesses to make sure that their histories are not forgotten. Now let's talk about your history. So Claudia and I used to joke about this with every guest that came on. They'd say, where, where are you from in Italy? Do you know where your family's from? Yes. So um, it's the paternal side of my family that comes from Italy. And we're actually from three different places. So I have the regions of Abruzzo, Campania, and Sicily as a part of my family tree. And so the name Marinero comes from the province of Benevento um, in Campania. So that side of my family is Neapolitan. Um, and my Nana's family was from a small town called Sara San Martino, which is well known for the Giacchetto Pasta Factory. So in my family, we only eat Giacchetto if we're going to be doing dry <laughs> pasta. Because my great-grandfather worked at that factory before he came to the United States in 1920. Melissa, what is the, besides the stuff that I donated, what is your most prized (laughs) possession there? And what is your wish list? Is there something that you would love to to get your hands on to put on display? Oh, it's so hard to choose the most prized possession because I think that everything is valuable in its own right. And in terms of cultural value, I think our collection is quite significant. I have to say that um, I am partial to our collection about E. Campagnoli. I bet a lot of your listeners are familiar with E. Campagnoli. They were a singing and dance troupe that was sponsored by the Italian Sons and Daughters of America. And we were fortunate to work with a number of their members to bring in sheet music, costumes, instruments. I was also able to do oral histories with a number of them. And so it is a really cool collection because one the songs are primarily in dialect Mm. so it's a great documentation of the languages that are used or you know historically were used in italy but it was also really interesting to get to know the members in order to understand how they were expressing their italianness or italianita as we would say Um, in Italian-American studies. And so I think that's just a really rich collection. And I've had some music scholars 
look at it because it, we're one of the few places you could go to to find these folk songs that came from Italy when the migrants came. Um, in terms of a wish list, you know, we are always still looking for stories. My focus has primarily been on those immigrants that came after 1945 because they had a very different experience than those immigrants that came at the turn of the 20th century. So I've been collecting a lot of those narratives and um, trying to just understand the different generations of immigrants. And, you know, eventually we're going to get to the point, too, where we'll be documenting the brain drain. Those folks who came after 1970, um, who often came with a university degree, came here to work in specialized jobs in the sciences and medicine and engineering. Um, so, you know, it, it never hurts to reach out to us to let us know if you have a story because, you know, I think everybody's story is unique and we have quite, quite a lot of diversity in Italian America here in Western Pennsylvania. Calissa, I want to, you know what, that is, a, that is a fantastic segue into something that we've been talking over the last few weeks, probably about the last month or so, about how to kind of rejuvenate the community. And I'll give you an example. Um, so there's only one other nonprofit here in Pittsburgh that does anything, the Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilea. You know, I, I know you're familiar with them. Angela runs it. You know, they're, they're a nonprofit, and they're trying to raise funds to put a cultural center and a school together. Then you have other groups like ISDA, NIAF, um, Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. I think the Adelaide Club's out there. It seems mm-hmm. like there is an undercurrent for Italian culture, but yet it doesn't. Uh, maybe I'm wrong on this. Do you feel like that the community is is still energized, or do you feel like there's like there's a there's a bolt of lightning that's needed? Because I think it's there, but it's not there. For, you know, does that does that make sense to you? It does, and I think that when you look at the history of Italian immigrants. You know, when Italian immigrants started coming to the United States in the late 1870s, 1880s, they were coming from a nation that was newly unified. So many of our ancestors didn't see themselves as belonging to the nation state of Italy. They saw themselves as belonging to the region, the province, the town they came from. And we can see that in the formation of mutual beneficial societies and clubs where people tended to stick with their countrymen, their their paisani. And I think that as we developed as a ethnic group in America where we, you know, after World War II started to take on this moniker of being Italian Americans and not just Italians, we started to connect across regions and we started to adopt what I see as a pan-Italian culture. And I'm a pretty good example of that because in my family tree, I have people that came from all different regions of Italy. So I see my culture as belonging to different places and spaces. And I think that as we have evolved, we have certainly seen some of our organizations move in a direction where we are celebrating the culture of the entire peninsula. Um, But of course, that's, I think, challenging for some of us who might be um, deeply connected to one particular place of Italy, or even this division between North and South, which as we study in history, that was a, a true division that then came to the United States as the migrants brought that. So I think you are right that um, 
we as a community sometimes still struggle to find those umbrella organizations that are going to speak on behalf of the whole and not just a segment. And so that's why at the History Center and the Italian American program, you know, we've really tried to document every region, every type of narrative, people who lived in urban spaces, rural spaces, they might have come from the north, come from the south, but all of that fits under this um, this understanding of, of belonging to Italy. So it is really interesting because I think we're at a pivotal point as now we're entering the fourth and fifth generation of America. Now we're losing those first generation Italian Americans who were the ones that came from Italy. And so I understand as I work with the community that many people are seeking that connection with Italy and trying to, and, and we try to provide that as a point of reference. If you don't have that family member who can tell you those stories, then maybe listening to an oral history is a way to connect with that experience. Um, but I absolutely agree with you. I think we are at a critical moment in our in our ethnic groups makeup in America. And I think in Pittsburgh, we are blessed with so many wonderful organizations that support the heritage and the culture. Um, and, and all of those groups you've named, you know, we over the years at the History Center have worked with them in one capacity or another to do programming and to do activities. Because I think there's a lot of room for Italian-Americans and even those lovers of Italian culture to come and be engaged. Melissa, we have just under 10 minutes left. And before we talk about your May 10th and June 8th events, tell us uh, how much do you ever stand back and look how far uh, your section has grown? And obviously a ton of it is because of you and all the hard, hard work you've put in. How much has it grown and, and do you ever stand back and just say, wow, look how far we've come? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we have been able to do, which I'm so proud of, is we've been able to endow this position. Um, we have worked for years with Mascaro Construction Company to do a bocce tournament, which is how we raise money every August. And the fact that we have not just grown this fantastic collection of material culture, but we've also grown a nest egg to support the staff that works on this collection. And I think that that really speaks to, one, the commitment of the community that they've made to the History Center, but two, the commitment the History Center has made to continue documenting the community. Uh, and so I'm so proud that we have reached a point with the endowment where you know we're financially stable, during the pandemic, I didn't lose my job. So I think that's really <laughs> important to know because right. that's exactly what the community was trying to do. They wanted to create a safety net for this program. And okay. I do look back because as I talk to people across the nation, I realize that other cities don't have the same kind of resource. And so I look back and I see where I think Pittsburgh truly is a leader in Italian America and I'm always going around the country trying to share with my peers the fact that, hey, you know, we have this incredible resource here. Did you realize? Um, because sometimes we do get overshadowed by some other centers of Italian America across the country. Sure. Now, tell us about your May 10th event and your June 8th event, please. 
Sure. So on May 10th, we are welcoming the National Italian American Foundation to Pittsburgh. Uh, they are a wonderful organization based in D.C. Their mission is very similar to ours. They're interested in celebrating the contributions of Italian Americans. They have some wonderful scholarships and grants and programs that Part of why we wanted to invite them to Pittsburgh is we want our community to know that this is a resource for them. So if you have students in high school that are thinking about going to college, they have wonderful scholarships to send students of Italian-American descent to get their degrees. They also have a Voyage of Discovery program that helps young Italian-Americans take an all-expense-paid trip to Italy. Uh, so we wanted to have a reception so that we could help our community get some face time with the members of the National Italian American Foundation and know that, you know, we have a group in D.C. that is advocating for us and advocating for what's important to our community. So that's our first event. Then our next event, which will be on June 8th, is called A Night at the Opera. And we will be celebrating the contributions of the Pinza family. Uh, so... Izio Pina and his daughter Claudia, I'm sorry, Pinza, and his daughter Claudia were both opera singers. And when Claudia relocated her family to Pittsburgh in order to get some medical care for her son, she got involved in our local opera scene. She worked as a vocal coach at Duquesne and University of Pittsburgh. And she was involved with Pittsburgh Opera and was one of the people responsible for bringing Pavarotti to Pittsburgh three times. So we will have her son, Samuele, and we will also have a couple guest panelists, singers Kevin Galvin and Anna Singer. And together they will be celebrating what the Pinza family did to bring opera and really embed opera here in Pittsburgh. Melissa, real quick for our listeners, um, because we got a few minutes, how do folks go and sign up for these events? <clears throat> And I actually will see you at the May the May event. Yep. I think Claudia and I both are signed up for that one. So that's fantastic. We're so happy. We've already got some RSVPs. It's going to be a fun night. People can visit the History Center's website. You're going to go to our What's On tab. Under that, you will find our events calendar. Look for the event on May 10th, and you will see a link to register. It is free to register for the May 10th event. There is admission to the June 8th event, and all those details will be listed on the event page. But if people have questions, they're welcome to either call or email me, and my contact is listed on both pages. Melissa, we really appreciate you taking time to be on. It's always great to talk to you and very much look forward to seeing you on May 10th. And you know I always appreciate everything you've done uh, for me, and, and again, looking forward to seeing you. Looking forward to seeing both of you, and thank you so much for all the work you do on this program. I think it's wonderful that people can tune in and learn about what's important happening in Italian America and Pittsburgh, and so it's been an honor. And we'll have you back on. Absolutely. Thank you again, Melissa. This is We really appreciate this. I know a lot of listeners, and this is kind of the whole point of the show, a lot of people just don't know what they don't know. And so the more we can keep spreading the word and getting the word out, and again, we're trying to support all the organizations that are out there. And we keep pushing this that if folks are out there and you know we're not we're not 1000 limited to just italians if you have organizational groups that are out there we're, we're trying to support pittsburgh and the surrounding areas and anyone listening online because again we're streaming all over the world we've got people everywhere listening to us 
Our point is there's so much out there, but there's not enough good positive support out there. And that's Claudio and I are doing it. And that's why I'm listed. We appreciate you being on the show. And we appreciate having wonderful guests like yourself here as always. Well, grazie. I appreciate it, too. All right. We'll see you soon, Melissa. Thanks. Also, and believe it or not, Mark was very patient, waited in the studio for us. Before we do sign off, uh, Mark, I want to give you the last maybe 30 seconds, something you want to tell the listeners before we sign off. No, first of all, I want to thank uh, Claudio and uh, Steve for having this show and continuing the rich, wonderful uh, Italian heritage, especially in our region. And, you know, I'll tell you, it's funny, is a lot of people, the older, gener- younger generations, have lost the idea of the struggle that we have come through and just for an example I mentioned early in the show I am running for Pittsburgh City Controller and I was voted you know rated most highly uh, qualified candidate and if I were elected I would actually be the first Italian person of Italian American descent ever elected the Pittsburgh City Controller in our city's 210 year history and so how far we've come, that's how much further we still have to go. Right. And we can't lose where we came from and stay together as a group and continue to move forward and also bring the other ethnic groups in who have and, and not allow them to suffer the prejudices that we have. Right, man, that's well, a great, said, well yeah, said. great, great message. Again, it's not just about Italians. Right. We're Italians. We're very proud of that. But we're trying to be welcoming and show everyone that everyone has a history Everyone's had struggles. Instead of, you know, ostracizing one group over the other, it's the world's too small and life's too short. So find a damn way to get along or else. Right, Claudio? That's right. I'll give you the last word, please. Well, I got to say hello to Fred Natale, who's a big fan of the show. And I met him uh, at the uh, Yinzer Con. He's a great, great guy and has a lot of great stories. But uh, Fred, uh, it was great meeting you. And uh, again, as always, appreciate my wife, Linda, and Ida, who's now, she got accepted to uh, grad school at Duquesne. She's oh, going to be the head nice. uh, color guard coach at Montour. So I'm very proud of Ida. And uh, as always, thank you, Mom and Pop. And Thanks. thank you to the audience for listening to Always us. thank the audience. And again, if you can uh, go out and check out the site, ItalianImpactWeekly.com, just in case you're like, man, that interview was so good. I want to listen to it again and again. Please do. And as always. Mario Andretti, May 4th. And Vince Ferragamo's coming on soon. And uh, Donnie Iris, Donnie, I'm threatening you. You better get on here There soon. it is. But, folks, if you, have, uh, if you have something you want to tell us, if you want to reach out to us, if you have a group, if you have something going on and you want to get the word out, please feel free to email us. At questions at italianimpactweekly.com again that's questions at italianimpactweekly.com thank you again and claudio thank you again and mark thank, thank you. you and melissa thank you again for and joining joe us hale. and joe hale joe I, I stare at you i stare at the clock and i just i'm just so used to greatness joe that's all it is but again thanks folks for listening and we'll see y'all next week